On today's episode of Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand, I got a chance to chat with Jake Carls, the Canadian Willy Wonka is what I am calling him. Uh, Jake is one of the co-founders at Midday Squares. What a great guy, what a great conversation. It's incredible what they are doing with their content game and building a brand. We talked about, you know, why a brand like Lululemon is valued at 12X their uh, revenue and why a brand like Saputo, who, you know, does like $15 billion worth of business a year is valued at 1X. And it really comes down to brand. And we talked about what they're doing. Some incredible ideas. Uh, One of their first marketing hires was a full-time videographer to film them all the time. That's all I'm going to tell you until you guys listen to this episode. Enjoy. Mindful Marketing, we know that you want your brand to be successful. In order to do that, though, you need to predictably acquire new customers. The problem is Facebook and Google are only getting more expensive, which makes you feel unsure of whether your brand will survive. We believe that building a community of loyal and repeat customers is the answer. We understand how hard it is to predictably grow a brand, which is why we have created a system using our own mid-seven-figure e-commerce brand as a test case. And here's how we do it. Number one, we execute a profitable ads strategy. Number two, we build a brand-owned loyal base of repeat customers. And number three, we grow exponentially, predictably, and consistently. So download our free sales launch checklist at mindfulmarketing.co slash SLC so you can stop having sales that bomb and instead grow your revenue predictably and exponentially. Today's episode is brought to you by Mindful Marketing. Mindful Marketing uses ads to get you off using ads. Most e-commerce brands rely heavily on Facebook, Google, Snapchat, Twitter, whatever, for the majority of the revenue. At Mindful Marketing, they use paid ads to build you a community of loyal and repeat customers that will exist long after Facebook and Google do. Find out more at mindfulmarketing.co. Now for today's interview, I have Jake Carls from Midday Squares. Jake, welcome to Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand. What's going on, brothers? Super pumped that I'm on this. We're going to have a good time. Nothing's off the table, so let's have some fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, this is going to be a freaking blast. I'm looking forward to this. I'm also talking to a fellow Canadian who is in the land of the USA right now, trapped in between America and Canada during COVID. Yeah, dude, it gives me a bit of anxiety. I don't have a lot of anxiety, but to get back to Canada right now is giving me anxiety. I'm supposed to come back tomorrow, but there's no guarantee. Zero guarantee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We've got some pretty crazy rules right now. Like like when, when coming back in, you're supposed to have to like mandatorily quarantine at a hotel, pay like $3,000 to do it. Yeah, it's, uh, they're making it scary to travel right now. Very scary. And you know, it's not a leisure travel. It's a work travel. It makes it very complex, man, because how are you supposed to expand the business? Not that not, not everything can be done through Zoom and, you know, and just phone calls. You got to see some things physically and, you know, do to make the magic happen on the ground. Totally. We're actually, we're acquiring a company and potentially two right now down in the States. And so I've already told our, my operating partner, I'm like, you're going to have to go down there. Whatever you do, you're going to have to go meet people because we can't buy a company completely virtually. So uh, yeah. So he'll have to navigate all these same things you're navigating. Jake, for people who don't know you, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Okay. So my name is Jake Carls. I am one of the co-founders of a brand called Midday Squares, which is a functional chocolate company. We'll get into that after, but we started, you know, for me, I've always been an entrepreneur. I failed in three businesses and hopefully this one works, uh, the Midday Square one. Before I used to run fitness boot camps outside before that was like a thing. I did the circuit training with hundreds of people in my parents' front yard. It was actually crazy. Imagine like fitness boot camps going on in, in terms of 50 to 100 people classes 
in a neighborhood, blasting music from 6 a.m. till 6 p.m. Um, wow. Had a lot of fun with that. Then I threw some college parties on college campuses across Canada and then sold clothing, crop tops to the students, to both men and females, male and females, actually. It was a lot of fun. Basically went across Canada doing that. Had the time of my life. Imagine being 25 years old, you know, partying with college students again, throwing pop-up shops, having the time of your life. I did that. I was just tired of it, man. When I did it for two years, the business, it wasn't picking up. The engines weren't rolling, but the cool factor was there. The excitement from the people, the students were really pumped about it. I actually also had like 10% of the NFL wearing these crop tops. It's the weirdest thing. Anyways, had a lot of fun. And then I got into Midday Squares in August, 2018. Cool, cool. So tell us a little bit about Midday Squares. Like, what do you guys do? So we're a manufacturer uh, that manufactures chocolate bars. Basically, we created the first functional chocolate bar. Chocolate bar has a baby with a protein bar, but gets rid of all the junk that's in protein bars. So the artificial flavors, the preservatives, the additives, the chemicals, the chalky taste, and yeah. uses all real plant-based food ingredients. And the cool thing is, is a lot of the brands in the food and beverage space don't actually have their own manufacturing facilities. They co-pack totally. their product. So we built a fully automated plant in Montreal, Canada that could produce up to 90,000 bars per day. And it just, we just opened that about six to eight months ago, I think, or even maybe 12 months ago. And that's been a huge accomplishment for us because we like to call ourselves the millennial manufacturer. The process is different. The way that the consumer interacts with the brand is different. And Mm. the way we built our factories with our head office and the, the production team and the front office team together is a new way style of doing the manufacturing. So yeah, it's been a crazy ride. Think about us like the modern day Hershey, if they were to start in 2020, but you know, being young and fun. So is this like, I'm picturing like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Like you have like Oompa Loompas there and yeah. So it's the modern day Oompa Loompa. Yeah. And, and big machines and all that fun jazz. When you're in Montreal, you'll come visit. So tell me about the problem you were solving. Like what did you see in the market that wasn't there? So yeah, the market's very interesting because if you think about protein, chocolate, all that stuff, there's so many brands. There's thousands of great brands out there. The problem was everyone was tapping either the morning snack. So like the pre-breakfast or after breakfast or breakfast snack or pre-post workouts. No one was tapping the afternoon chocolate craving. So people love chocolate, but real chocolate, not the milk chocolate. They like dark, real chocolate. And no one was doing that with some functions like a protein bar. Because protein bars, what they do is they fill you up, they give you energy, they give you some brain full of gut health. They do the proteins, the fibers, the nutritionals. No one was making a chocolate bar that was actually made with real foods that did that exact same thing, but tasted like a chocolate bar, not artificial. So when we were solving this, we actually had some information from... Um, a big corporation in Canada, their m department actually shared this document that showed that real chocolate, so anything above 55% cocoa mass was growing at 42 or 43% year over year. And that vegan protein, so anything plant-based was on a tear at 36% year over year, which is now way more. So we just yeah. made a baby with the two and it was a white space and we live in the refrigerator. So it puts us in a different section than the typical bar aisle in the grocery store that has a thousand bars in there, you know? So is that an advantage or a disadvantage? In Canada, it was a disadvantage because the set, we had to pioneer the set. So we had to go build out and explain to the buyers and the consumers mentally to go to this refrigerated section to find a grab and go convenient product. Now in the US, the set is built out. So when you come okay. here, there's a lot, there's some other great brands, different product. They just live in the refrigerator. So the customer's already coming there to find it. In Canada, we had to build that out ourselves, which is a lot harder. Gotcha, gotcha. It's interesting because even where your product sits in the grocery store differentiates it, right? Yeah. So I kind of said that a little French Canadian. Yeah, a little French Canadian. (laughs) Differentiates it. Yeah. 
Yeah. So you know what's interesting is fresh snacking is really growing. So when you have refrigerated products, we use the refrigerator because of the, we don't use preservatives. So the cold acts as a natural preservative. So yeah. when the consumers start to want to eat healthier and healthier, they start thinking, oh, if it lives in the fridge, it's fresh. It doesn't yeah. last long. So why wouldn't I want to consume that product instead of all the chemicals on the aisles that last two, three years? Yeah. 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 I love it. Okay. Let's talk about direct to consumer here. So in some of our notes, we're looking at kind of 60, 40 retail to direct to consumer. Honestly, I would have thought maybe 90, 10, right? Like maybe you have that little side of the direct to consumer. What are you guys doing? How has your business grown that big online? Dude, 40% of the business, it used to be but pre-COVID it was about 20, 25. Then it hit about 40 during this pandemic. Now we do a lot of content creation. Our whole business is obviously we're a manufacturer, but the, the second part of our business is that we have a media production team within the company. We hired, we hired videographers, editors, producers from reality television to be in-house. So we don't have a real marketing team. That's our marketing team is that content creation team. And no, not a lot of food companies put that kind of money and investment into building that out. And we use that through social, through our podcast. And we tell the story of what it is to build a business. We don't promote the product. We don't talk about the actual bars in itself. We talk about what it's like to build a business from zero to whatever it takes us, whether that's an IPO or that's a sell, it's going to be an IPO. We don't want to sell the company. But showing the day-to-day struggles, the successes, the failures with the most radical transparency, you need that media team to capture everything because- There's so much shit going on. Even building a factory. Think about what it is to build a manufacturing plant with no knowledge on how to do that. We document yeah. everything. And it allows your consumers to go on a roller coaster with you and not just watch you. So that's allowed our D2C to thrive because they've wanted that convenience of just buying it. So they're on their mobile phones, they're checking our content, and they instantaneously go to the website and they purchase. But you also need proper funnel systems. And you know, sell, you know, you probably know this best is you need to build people into your ecosystem properly and not just sell, sell, sell but pull people in to actually want us come for the chocolate, but stay for the story more or less. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, what it sounds like is you guys are building a freaking amazing brand, right? You're thinking about brand at the same time as you're still selling, right? I love that. I think that's so ridiculously important. So this whole documentary idea or this like reality TV, where did you get that idea from for your brand? So it came from me, actually, this is, this is my favorite thing to talk about because when I joined in as a third partner, I said to my two partners, which are my family, my brother-in-law, my sister, I said to them, guys, the only way we differentiate ourselves is if we make this like a reality television show. We make it like Shark Tank meets Kardashians, but gets rid of all the posh and vanity life that's in that and kind of show people the day-to-day, but the real stuff, the stuff that no one sees, the behind the curtain, but not the poshed up version or the edited version, the raw shit. Let people see how hard it is and how not always beautiful it is to build a business. And from day one, we decided to film everything. And the first, or, or sorry, our first hire in the front team was a videographer. And that helped helped us capture. I think now we have about 22,000 videos since day one of just what's going on. Everything from, you know, machines breaking down to, you know, therapy sessions with my business partners, like everything. And it relates to the consumer on a deeper level than just a chocolate bar on the shelf. Well, it doesn't just relate to a consumer either, right? Like what you're doing with that is getting buy-in from potential partners as well, right? Because the people who are going to watch that content aren't just consumers. They're the people with massive leverage, right? Business owners, to me, I mean, That's why I have a podcast, right? Because now we can nicely leverage each other, right? And our massive networks and business owners have those networks. So I love it. I don't know if anyone can see, I'm jealous. (laughs) Like, like, I wish I would have done that with our businesses. But you know what? Can, but you know what? I, we always tell people like we're really radically transparent and we're out there, and we wanted to make 
the founders, the three of us, really the faces of the business and really put ourselves out there. So like when you're purchasing the bar at the grocery store, you're more like, oh, I know those guys or I know those people. They're those like Canadians that are whack jobs, et cetera. Instead of you going, oh, that that bar looks healthier. I'm going to buy it. You know, so that's the goal of our day to day is how can we make people feel that every single day through the content we create and how we, we actually show. But you need to be aligned in the entire company. And that's the hardest part is the culture and to get the right people and to always stay consistent and not bullshit, excuse my language. Like you need to be real with everything. Like things aren't perfect, man. And, and you got to share that and not posh it, you know, cherish it up. It doesn't, it doesn't work that. And most businesses in our world do that. They, they just, everything's yeah. perfect. I imagine transparency is probably one of your guys' core values. Radically transparent. Yeah. Yeah. Like it just, it's incredible, you know, to have a film or a videographer like that around all the time. You got to be okay with everything that happens. Right. And I'm sure that there's fights and like all this kind of stuff that happens in a business and tense meetings that you probably wouldn't want necessarily people watching in on? Like, yeah. how, how do you work that out? Well, dude, first of all, we see we have a business therapist on retainer at once a week. So the three of us go to him. He's a behavioral psychologist and he's amazing. So what he does is he helps us communicate hard conversations with each other because we're family, right? They're My brother-in-law and my sister are married. They're partners and I'm it's my sister and my brother-in-law. So yeah. it's tough relationships. But I like to say that we didn't go into business because we're family. We each have different skill sets that complement each other to build the cool. puzzle. And yeah, we listen, It's it was weird at first to film everything and put it out there. It's a bit uncomfortable. Even my girlfriend, she gets a little uncomfortable. You know, things are out there. Like when I'm having trouble with my girlfriend, like that affects my business, to believe it or not. It affects my mind. So we talk totally. about it it brings her into it, right? And everyone that comes to work for Midday Squares or with Midday Squares signs a contract that everything is on the table to be filmed and posted. And not yeah. because we want to make a drama or anything, but because that's part of the journey. That's really part of it. So we've had people, you know, not join on because of that, which is totally cool. The people that are part of our team now, I think we're 37 of us, every single one embraces the camera and doesn't act like it's there. And that's an important thing. Yeah, I mean, that's going to take some time to get used to, right? And I imagine it's probably only a few days where you're like, okay, now there's just this camera here all the time, whatever. Like, this is what we're going to do. We're just going to act normal. I think the first two, three weeks of every single Was person, it? two to three weeks. Yeah. And then they either like it or they don't. And you could tell right away. And then it's like, also don't, it's like, it's hard not to act because once, you know, guiding people to just be themselves should be easy to be honest, but it's not because people are like, oh, the camera acts different. It's like, oh, what, what I should, what should I say? Is this going to be bad? Is this going to be bad? We don't care what people say. Everything's uncensored. You know, we do swear a lot. We do do crazy stuff. People don't like it, but that it is what it is. We're unapologetically ourselves. And that's work for us and in the most respectful way possible. You know, we're not disrespectful. We don't disrespect anyone and don't do anything like that. But when we're ourselves, we're our best versions. And that's when the company thrives the most when everyone in our company is being themselves and happy about it and embracing it. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Where do you see yourself in five years? Where's so, the company going? Well, we're going public in about two years, I would say a year and a half. Okay. The reason why we're going to the public market is the Canadian market, the Canadian stock, the Toronto Stock Exchange is craving CPG brands that are higher risk, but have built a brand. And if you look at the way that brands are built, like you talked about before, we are building a brand. That's our main focus alongside a manufacturing you know, empire in chocolate. But the thing is, if you look at Lululemon compared to like a Saputo, Saputo is a great product. They create great dairy product cheeses. They get a one multiple on their revenue. But then you take a Lululemon who built a brand successfully on yep. the public market, they're getting a 12 multiple. There's a big difference Unreal. there. Consumers and relatability and connection and community make a difference, right? So in the next five years, we want to be internationally, not just uh, Canada, US, but potentially Europe, maybe even Australia. And we want to build a chocolate empire. The goal is, like I said, is modern. If Hershey's were to start in 2020, they would look more like midday squares as a business. And that's what we want to build. Oh, that's so cool. I love it. I love it. 
And I just love that you're Canadian because, you know, there's there's just good stuff happening here in Canada. Yeah, Canada's awesome, bro. The people, the, there's there's culture, everything's great. And we want to put Montreal on the map for chocolate and not just for, like I said, Saputo's done a great job for cheese and dairy, but cheese and dairy is not as fun as chocolate. So let's, our goal is to literally put Montreal known for functional chocolate. Sweet, love it. I got to ask you the question I ask everybody who comes on this podcast, what is your secret to scaling? Execution. I know it sounds cheesy, but you can't scale without execution. Like we have this thing where I used to get into this phase, what I call analysis paralysis, where I would spread myself wide and then think of everything and nothing would get done. And the business would hurt. It would hurt a lot. When you can't focus and execute, you can't scale. It's actually impossible. And I don't think scaling just means automating everything. And, you know, we automated our manufacturing, but I scaled our customer experience team to be the least automated possible, but I Mm. scaled it. And that's because what I do is I said, how can we humanize as much as possible, not be robotic, but actually give people that real feeling. And it comes back to core value, transparency and connecting with the consumer or anyone. And so we've scaled that whole customer experience with humans, but not automating it to be robotic. So I think scaling is an interesting thing, but execution comes in every single part of scaling. I love it. I absolutely love it. Uh, We're uh, in all the organizations that uh, we're a part of or that we own, we implement Clifton Strengths in there. And so Clifton Strengths has executed execution. There's like four core areas of strength, right? Execution, influence, relationship, and strategic. And and so knowing what areas you're good at will help you. Because I agree, if you can't execute on anything, nothing's ever going to get done. I do not execute. I'm not an executor. I have no executing strengths whatsoever. Yet, interestingly, every person in my life around me has execution as their top strengths, achievers, right? And so know yourself, right? If Because you got to get shit done. You just have to. I love what you just said. I am not an executor either. How do you like that? I actually took myself out of management roles because I couldn't execute on the management stuff. So I actually played to my strength, which is meeting people and building excitement on the brand, but I don't execute it. It's all organized. It's planned for me. So I, I just have to be me. And yeah. it's an ego thing. You got to drop the ego. Once you drop that ego and you let yourself understand that that's a weakness for, for me, it's a weakness. And you know, I'm not trying to work on my weaknesses right now. It's, it's just at the speed of growth. I'm playing to my strengths and you've got to play to your strengths. Like don't spend time unless you have all the time in the world you know, playing to your weaknesses and weaknesses for me was actually execution. But I know in the scaling process, if you surround yourself with good executors, they'll work it out and you do you. Love it. Love it. We are so on the same page here. What is your title then? You know, taking yourself out of management. What what does that look like? Not that it really matters. I'm just interested. Yeah, dude. So for, obviously I go by co-founder, but from an internal standpoint, I like to call myself the Rover <laughs> because I okay. wrote, yeah. basically the Rover, what the Rover does is it adds values to every different department. So I add value in sales, marketing, you know, not the manufacturing side, but, and then like R and D and, you know, stuff like that. So what I learned from the consumer side, cause I'm always out there building the excitement is I bring in everything for each department. And that makes me rover around all of them. But the cool thing is, is once I dropped that whole idea of being the manager after nine months of struggling with my ego and letting it go, I started thriving. But before that I was struggling and turning my mental, my mental health was getting eaten away because think about it. You're trying to do something, but you're so bad at it that yeah. it just eats you away and things. And not only that, it affects everyone in the business, right? And it was weird for my partners to have that conversation because it hurts. It's like, oh, but sorry, you're not good at management and you're trying too hard to force it, right? You're forcing it and it's affecting the business. So when I stepped down from that, it hurt a little bit at first, but then I embrace it. And I'm actually, I speak about it all the time. I'm like, a lot of founders don't have to be managers. They got to go do what they're great at. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Totally. And a lot of founders are so big thinking that they can't be managers, right? That's one of the things that I I learned myself and why I, I feel like 
I've been able to scale into multiple different businesses. It's like, I'm not going to manage people. I just can't do it. <laughs> so <laughs> I love it. Well, we're going to move on to our lightning round here. I got a couple more questions for you. What is your favorite tool or app that you're using right now? My favorite tool is, is definitely Instagram. And I'll tell you why. I use it for the video platform to connect with my customers. So basically I find it very easy to send a video on it to my customers saying like, hey, hey, it's Jake. My name's Jake. You know, how are you doing? Like blah, blah, blah. And, and they send it back very easily video to video. Yeah. Uh, that's what I use every day. And it actually works because you could find someone very easily. You could find out exactly who they are. And it's so useful for me. And I, I wish other founders or, you know, customer teams would do that with their brands because it really creates that connectivity. Yeah. Love it. That's great. Favorite podcast or audiobook that you're listening to right now? Favorite podcast. I definitely like how I built this. I just like to learn more about different, how they build their businesses, because I like to take what they didn't do and apply it or what they made mistakes on and kind of see how it relates to ours. We have our own podcast too. And I wasn't into podcasting before that. So like this year, I've only started to like podcasting. I do read a lot of books though, like not audio, but I read a lot. Yeah. Um, I think I read 27 in 2020. So Oh, awesome. Awesome. That is great. You know, guys make a goal of, you know, people who are listening right now, make a goal to, to read, like if you could read one book every two weeks, uh, the amount of knowledge and the external just like stimuli that you get from reading those books is incredible, right? Like I, there's just no way that we'd be at the stage that we're at without reading. I can think of pivotal books in my life, like Profit First, Atomic Habits, all these like seven habits of highly effective people. If I didn't have those, I wouldn't have a language to be able to move throughout this business world like I do now. And so I love it. I love hearing you read 27 books, freaking awesome. That's yeah, so great. The key was that I literally just every morning, 40 minutes, that's it. Every single morning. And I used to hate reading. I was, the, I didn't do well in school and stuff, you know, I didn't know how to read well, but when I started to appreciate what I was reading and it wasn't forced on me, I started to fall in love with it. And you said it, the wealth of knowledge, I know it's cheesy to say, but it's there and you could learn so much, man. So much. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. Uh, last question for you. If you could sit down with anybody for an hour, have some coffee, tea, beer, wine, uh, they have to be alive. Who would it be? Wow, that, that's tight. That's tight. That, that's a tough question. I do like Elon Musk because of his big thinking. And I'll tell you why. So he was able to fly... He's going to fly to the moon and back with American-made machinery. You know, this guy came from private sector, not public. And I find that just incredible. I find that it kind of should honestly motivate people to, including myself, to just go think big and don't think small. And like, you know, you could get there. And I know it sounds like, like I said, cheesy and stuff, but it's super important. And also like he's unapologetically himself, which I super believe in. And I'm doing that more and more every single day. And it works, man. It literally works. And, you know, you look at Cardi B, for example, she says all all these crazy things, which some people hate, but then again, she gets a deal with Walmart. I think she got a deal with Walmart or one of these family stores, even though she uses the word, you know, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear and stuff, but like, or am I? It really, it really depends what it is. Okay. Well, <laughs> you, all know Cardi, you guys know what Cardi B, Cardi B says in her inner things, but oh, yeah. still, she was herself. People either love or hate her and that it is what it is. And Elon Musk is the same way. So yeah, definitely have a, a beer with him. Okay, nice. I mean, that would just be an incredible conversation. He is just like, what an enigma, that guy. Oh yeah, I'm going to start tweeting about this. And now it's like, I've literally made the market how much money I don't know. What, probably the most powerful person in the world right now. I can't think of, even comparatively to the president, I think he's more powerful. He's got way a bigger more. podium. Way more. His voice is way more. <laughs> he has fun with it. He has a good time. Uh, yeah, just thinking about all the things he's done uh, that he did in 2020 is crazy. I appreciate you being on so much. This is an awesome conversation. I've, I feel like I, I was chatting with like a kindred spirit here. So this is just like 
So nice, Jake. Dude, I appreciate you even having me, man. Your energy is great. And uh, like I said, we related a lot of things and I'm happy that, you know, we got to talk about that. Like, cause we didn't talk about this before, but you and I are very similar is what I'm seeing in certain ways. And it's cool to see that. It's fun to see people that are like-minded. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, totally. So where can people find out uh, more about you and connect with you and your brand? So obviously you could find me on like LinkedIn and Instagram at Jake Carls or for the brand of Midday Squares, which you guys should all check out. Midday Squares at Midday Squares on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube, podcast. We have a really cool podcast too called Midday Squares Uncensored. Uh, it's on oh, our sweet. website. Yeah, www.middaysquares.com. You could find all, you know, on the top link, you'll find the podcast. 28 episodes. Very, very much about just showing, you know, unfiltered version of building the business just through voice, right? So yeah, that's where they can find us. And in stores, in the refrigerators. And if you want it on just on www.middaysquares.com. Sweet. That's great. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Dude, thanks for having me. I had a great time, brother. Hey guys, we hope you really enjoyed today's episode. Can we ask you a favor? Hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode and share this with your e-commerce store owner friends. We also love reviews. So if you could leave us one on Apple Podcasts, that would mean so much to us. Just a reminder from the beginning of the episode, our team at Mindful Marketing is rapidly growing and we have room for one new brand a month that's looking to grow. Now, before you apply, please note that we're only looking for businesses that are ready to scale and have the capacity and the inventory for a large influx of orders. This opportunity is only available to brands that have had at least one year of sales history and are ready for explosive growth. If this sounds like you, go to mindfulmarketing.co slash apply and start the process today. I hope you guys have a great week.